Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, healthcare and the pandemic are among the issues discussed in the first federal leaders debate. I'm going to bring premiers together in my first 100 days to make sure we fi fix the gaps exposed, particularly for long-term care. We need to have more partnership in this country. Jagmeet Singh is confident the NDP can pick up seats in Quebec. People got to know what I stand for and people got to know what you get when you get when you vote for a new Democrat. People were in a tough spot and when we're in Quebec, when we're in Montreal, people have come up to us, artists have come up to us and said, thank you for fighting for us. We know that you were the ones that fought to bring in more help to people, you fought to bring in more CERB, to double it. Because of you, we were able to get through this time. And questions about whether the Conservatives can keep a promise to balance the budget in 10 years. Aaron O'Toole can say whatever he wants. If he doesn't show the numbers, why should Canadians believe him? He's relying on a level of magical thinking that involves 3% growth every single year. It's Friday, September 3rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by CBC Ad Issue panelist, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So what did you think of the French language debate on TVI last night? What were some of the key takeaways? Um, it was a really good debate. It was, I think that Radio-Canada one-on-one uh, -on -one interview format was more comprehensive. That's what we saw on Sunday in terms of giving you an idea of who the person in front of you is and what their key policy platform planks are. But what we really saw yesterday in the FASFAS debate with TVR was the ability to kind of measure the men against one another. Uh, Justin Trudeau, the Liberal leader, clearly had come to fight. I don't recall seeing him that energetic ever, maybe since 2015, but I can't even think of a debate in 2015 where he was as energized and motivated and on the offensive, which is not typically where incumbent prime ministers tend to be. They tend to be more, you know, laid back and on the defensive. Um, Aaron O'Toole, Jagmeet Singh, uh, Yves-François Blanchet, they all had a pretty good performance. You know, it's, I think you could say that every leader um, kind of accomplished what they set out to do. Uh, Mr. O'Toole was very, very calm and prime ministerial. Um, Yves-François Blanchet, who had been having the past, like, this campaign had not been going well for about two weeks. Um, the last week has particularly been quite um, acrimonious with reporters on the campaign trail. He's been accused of not letting his female candidates speak, even though he says he's a feminist. Um, he's been, even to his body language, he's kind of looked like he's been annoyed. He's been accused of being arrogant. Um, that was not the François Blanchet that we saw on Thursday night. And um, he was very much the Yves Sebastian from 2019. He was um, energized and competent and charming. Um, but no one, of course, can beat charm more than Jagmeet Singh. Um, and he had that in spades, even though he was uh, talking about interfering in provincial jurisdictions. It was really um, quite interesting, Mark. And if I can go on a little bit, I'd say there's a few key moments that are likely to circulate, um, even in English media. Uh, today and in the days to come. Um, the first is the Prime Minister, uh, Justin Trudeau, suggesting that if there is a minority government, the context was, if there's a minority government after this election, will we find ourselves back in an election in 18 months? Um, and mm. everybody kind of sidestepped the question, but the Liberal leader said, 
uh, it's possible that because he said we, I'm not sure if he meant Liberal Party here or the opposition parties because they can work either way, because we have such differences with the Conservatives on vaccine and child care and climate change, it's possible that we're back here in 18 months. Already I can see Conservatives suggesting on social media that the Liberals say they're denied a majority they'll be back here in 18 months. It's not actually what the Prime Minister said. I read it like if the Liberals or the Conservatives win a majority government, we'll be back here in 18 months. And in the press conference that follows the debate, Trudeau said he was referring to 18 months as the average time a minority right. government lasts, noting that his government has lasted, I think, the fifth longest. Yeah, in fifth longest. Yeah. Yeah. The other moment, I'd say there were two moments where uh, Trudeau had his best um, hits, if you will, against Aaron O'Toole. The first came pretty early in the debate. It was about private health care. Mr. Trudeau asked Mr. O'Toole repeatedly um, if he like if he could clarify his vision on private health care, if he believes there is no role for private health care in the public system. And Mr. O'Toole did not answer um, at all. And he was asked that question again three times by reporters in the press conference. He didn't answer the two questions in French when he was asked by CTV in English. Um, he said that after the election, he would sit down with the provinces and he basically would hear their ideas and how to ameliorate um, choice and access in the public system. So I, I think that's going to come back. Mm. Um, then on childcare, and this is something that Quebecers care most about, you'll recall that the Liberals signed an agreement with François Legault's government to basically hand them a $6 billion check on childcare. And Mr. Blanchet and Mr. Trudeau um, both noted that Mr. O'Toole has not said whether Quebec can keep that money. I've always understood on the campaign trail that means that there is no money for Quebec, that that $6 billion is basically going to fund the Conservatives' um, tax credits, the, the money that they want to send parents, including uh, families with lower income, more money um, to have that choice in childcare. But that is something that I'm sure uh, will be discussed in right. French. Um, on a kind of a tax against Justin Trudeau, I said there are probably two kind of a, from Yves-François Blanchet on guns. Um, there's a, a, a note that, um, you know, Mr. Trudeau could have gone a lot further and actually has not gone as far as many municipalities would like him to, to go, including Quebec and Montreal, Montreal, which just had a shootout recently um, in terms of banning handguns. Um, and there was kind of a, the suggestion there that the Liberals could have done a lot more and they didn't. And from Mr. O'Toole, um, Mr. Trudeau seemed to be caught flat-footed when Mr. O'Toole suggested that um, Trudeau had kind of looked the other way and not shown any leadership when it came to sexual assault and harassment in the military. And I'll just end with this moment that is so inside uh, inside baseball, and I think our audience may recall this. Um, Singh and um, Blanchette had a very spicy moment um, when Mr. Blanchet asked Mr. Singh uh, to kind of take back his comments where he had called the Bloc MP Alain Terrain a racist. Do you remember this? It was a, yeah. several months ago. In the, it, basically, the two leaders have not spoken since um, because Mr. Singh, in, uh, in discussing a motion on systemic racism in the RCMP, felt that Mr. Terrain had given him a dismissive remark. And he treated him, uh, called him a racist, and then was expelled from the House of Commons. 
So Mr. Singh actually took the opportunity to explain to Quebecers, you know, why, right. how that event had transpired. And if that was a pretty um, spicy in the Beltway moment. I'm not sure it translated, but I think it, it helped explain Mr. Singh's position in the province. Yeah, and sure, and and uh, and obviously uh, there would have been people from across the country watching the debate, and uh, but it was mostly geared towards viewers in Quebec. Uh, and uh, to what extent are there seats in Quebec up for grabs in this election? Uh, and we we heard Jagmeet Singh talking yesterday about trying to make gains. I know the the Liberals and the Conservatives are also hoping to make gains. This campaign has not gone as well for Yves-François Blanchet, perhaps so far as the last one mm-hmm. did in 2019. So are there a lot of Quebec seats in play? Yeah, I'd say two things. Yes, to your question, but just um, as a sidebar here, there was, Yves-François Blanchet had a great debate in 2019 when he attacked, um, well, all the leaders actually attacked Andrew Scheer over abortion. There was no such moment where you got a sense that um, somebody had really stepped uh, into trouble. Um, right. So that that kind of change in the polls that we saw in 2019, where the Conservatives started to crater in Quebec and the bloc just took off with that vote, I don't think we're going to see that again, but I could be mistaken. There are lots of seats in Quebec up for grabs. I mean, the interesting thing with the province is that it can go in any direction. And unlike when you look at Atlantic Canada or British Columbia or Alberta, gosh, Manitoba, even seats in Ontario, um, for the exception of like 30, 40 in Ontario, you get a general sense of where the political parties are, where their strengths are, which street, which seats and ridings uh, are more likely to flip their way or another. Quebec is more like a wild card because a few factors. The electorate doesn't have any allegiances uh, federally to the parties that they have provincially. Like the provincial liberals are not really the federal liberals and the other parties have no real cousins in Ottawa. So a party allegiance, I'd say, is really, really even weaker than it is in the rest of the country. The other thing is that there's often three or four-way races that can really um, make things rather unpredictable. And as we saw in 2011, probably the best example, things can switch on a dime when Jack Layton got the orange wave in Quebec. So if things take off, um, you never know what's going to happen with the province. There's a lot of seats where, you know, like I looked at Gaspésie de la Madeleine. I mean, that's the liberal seat at the moment, Dan Le Boutillier. But, you know, it was a block seat for a long time. It probably has the ingredients to be a conservative seat, too. So there's a, a lot of different ways where the map splits. And that's why yeah. all, you know, and it's 78 seats, the large part of the 338 we have in the House of Commons, makes it a really worthwhile prize for any political leader that really can capture the hearts and minds of Quebecers. All right. Very quickly, as we wrap up, uh, uh, just some thoughts from you on the attacks on Aaron O'Toole because his plan to balance the budget within 10 years is not fully mapped out and his his uh, his campaign platform is not fully costed. He's facing more questions on that. Do you think that's becoming an issue for Aaron O'Toole? Yeah, it could be. I think that one of the best things the Liberals did in their platform was cost it. Uh, because it goes to show that you don't need to wait for the parliamentary budget officer to put a price tag on your items. And if you're running to be government and you can't tell voters how much you think your program is going to cost, um, you know, I do wonder if voters think you'll be adequately 
equipped to form um, a government. Their reason is, you know, we released our platform early and we sent it to the, to the parliamentary budget officer to uh, flesh out. Now, I'm not sure when the PBO will have all that information handy. I mean, the last election campaign was um, a bit longer, but more importantly, it was a fixed election date, so the PBO could get started earlier. Um, I suspect that they did not want to issue their costing and then be criticized by the PBO. Like I remember in 2015, Kevin Page, who was not the PBO, but the former PBO, uh, came out with his assessment of the NDP platform and told me he thought that it was Swiss cheese, you know, full of holes. And that was the story that haunted the NDP for a few days. So I'm pretty sure that's why they didn't do their own math. The Liberals, you know, being in government, have the opportunity to have frankly, better numbers, and there may have been policy proposals already like fleshed out by the finance department. But um, to the, the math that gets to the balanced budget in 10 years without cuts or increasing taxes, Mr. O'Toole says that uh, basically year-over-year year, 3% um, economic growth, and we really haven't actually seen a decade of 3% economic growth since I had to go back. Um 1961 to 1974, we had year-over-year growth that was higher than 3%, but not since have we had right. a 10-year period. There was five years, I think, in the 2000s. Um, it's so uh, the experts are have like are raising legitimate concerns about how can this be achieved. Yeah. Um, and and I'm sure we'll hear more about that in the days to come. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great long weekend. Thank you very much, Mark. That's CBC Ad Issue Panelist Althea Raj. This is a responsible and prudent plan that is fair and also completely transparent. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, John Iveson argues, if the Liberals don't change their strategy, they face an appalling election defeat. Iveson writes, There's nothing inevitable about elections, but the Liberals are going to lose this one unless they can change its trajectory. The good news for Justin Trudeau is that he still has time. Promoting the popular parts of the platform released on Tuesday will be part of the mix. More likely, the Liberals will go nuclear. We are already starting to see Liberal rhetoric at a slightly hysterical edge. However, if the attacks appear too desperate, they will backfire. At the National Observer, Andrew Perez asks if Aaron O'Toole's surge signals the return of red Toryism. Perez writes, One factor that has played a critical role in O'Toole's early momentum in this campaign has been his embrace of traditional progressive conservatism. He has aggressively courted centrist and center-left voters. While much of his party and caucus remain wed to ultra-conservatism, O'Toole quickly recognized today's conservative party must assemble a new voter coalition if it's to dislodge Justin Trudeau's liberals. In the Globe and Mail, Zachary Scholem-Berger and Andre Domis argue vaccine passports pose an equity problem. They write, Current initiatives to require vaccine passports ignore the reality of vaccine segregation and how they could reinforce inequities in society. Beyond medical and legal reasons, there are widespread barriers to getting vaccinated. If we must have COVID-19 passports, we must also make them supportive, not punitive. They need to open doors to all the social supports that make life during a pandemic possible, and which so many 
have been denied. Now here's what's coming up on the campaign trail today. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will make an announcement in Montreal this morning and will attend an event with supporters in North Vancouver tonight. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will make an announcement and hold a news conference in Quebec City. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference in Longueuil, Quebec. Green Party leader Annamie Paul will make an announcement and attend a community meeting in Toronto. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, September 3rd. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day and weekend for coverage of the federal election campaign. And join me for Have Your Say every weekday on CPAC starting at 12 Eastern Time. Our podcast returns Tuesday morning. Have a great long weekend.